0: It's been almost 39 years. This year will be my 39th year of saying yes to following Jesus. And the reality for me is that I was a teenager who discovered that that there truly was a God and that that God loved me. And for me, I was all in. Uh, my own experience, my own understanding. I kept God at bay for a long time. And I made a decision... When I was 15 years old, to let God take over my life, to follow Jesus Christ, to give my care and concern of my life to God. And I will tell you, in those years, there have been ups and downs and sideways and such. But he is a good God and he has been faithful uh, along the journey. You know, I think when you open your life and you say yes to God. He will begin to do uh, wonders in your life. Now, for some, it happens quickly. I mean, I know people that immediately when they receive Christ, they're no longer addicted to alcohol or drugs or whatever or sex or whatever they, They're like immediate change. And others, it's just a slow, gradual process of God taking over your life. And so I think it's kind of this way. I think it's kind of the 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 decision. ...is a moment in time, and then there's this long process. The Bible calls it sanctification, where God's Spirit comes inside of you... ...and He conforms you into the image of Jesus Christ. And some have huge breakthroughs immediately, and others it's just a long period of time... ...where it begins to work and soften up your heart. And it always reminds me of the Marines. Now, I didn't serve in the Marines, uh, but the Marines in World War II... ...had this very uh, fascinating strategy for retaking the islands that the Japanese Army had taken... And I always think about this because it reminds me of my spiritual life and a lot of people's spiritual lives, maybe yours, too. The Marines in World War Two had a a very interesting strategy, and it was a couple phases. Uh, The first phase was basically the softening up period. In other words, uh, the Marines would come over an island. They would fly over an island. They would from the ships they would shell the island they would bomb it they'd just drop everything they could on it they would soften up the island they would pound it now if you know a lot of history there the japanese had tunnels and such and so what they were doing was they were preparing the island they were they were hitting it hard and i think about that i go that's like some people i know god is is pounding on their lives right now they haven't said yes to him yet but man god is shaking the earth god is doing something heavy and maybe you've had that maybe you're in that softening up period right now and you know somebody's been bringing you to church and, and it 's like all hell is bombarding you, and everything is falling apart it's like you know that 's actually a good sign god 's actually doing something as bad as it sounds he 's preparing you for something great. Well then what would happen is at the right time, the marines would come in, and as the picture here shows, they would establish a beachhead now a beachhead was just a little sliver of land sand on the beach. It could be just you know twenty yards deep, one hundred yards wide it doesn 't really matter what would happen is they would they would land their troops. Right there. And you know, if you've seen any of the reels or any of the movies that have been made about this, it was it was unbelievable trauma to you know, to see what these young men experienced, you know, 18 years old. But they established a beachhead. And as they established a beachhead, they began to move the supplies in. And as the, the, the ships began to land and the supplies and the, the other people came in and, and they set up bunkers and they started moving in, once they established a beachhead, they began the slow process of taking the entire island. Now, what's fascinating is in the history of World War II in the Pacific Theater, once the Marines had established a beachhead, they never lost an island. Now, the beachhead wasn't the win. That was the first win. And, and what it took was, okay, we've got some land. We've got some territory. And now we're going to slowly press in and we're going to finally take this whole island. Now, there were uh, steps forward. There were steps back. But they were making progress. And some of you are at that phase. Some of you know what that's like. Maybe in the early stages. Maybe some of you people older in your faith in Christ. And it feels, still feels like you're in a battle. You're in a war zone. There's these sins or struggles. Or as the King James says in Hebrews. This besetting sin. That just keeps tripping you up. And it's a battle. And you know what it's like. You know what it's like to have victory. You know what it's like to have defeat. You know what it's like to feel like you're on the top of Iwo Jima with the flag. And you know what it feels like to be just bunkered in deep in the sand as the shells are flying all around you and exploding. But that is part of the process of our faith is that God, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, he saves us. That's the word that is used there. He challenges the armies of hell to a duel and he wins every time. Right. And he establishes a beachhead in your life and you, because of what Jesus has done, On the cross, you are saved. You are now in a relationship with God. Again, as we said through this whole series of Galatians, not by your works, not by your own righteousness, your own effort or obeying the laws or rules or whatever, but simply by the free grace of God through Jesus Christ. And the decision has been made. You're following Jesus. And then you feel like now what happens? All hell starts to bombard you, right? Now the really tough stuff begins. And I've had so many people that, you know, come into this faith, they go, I thought everything was going to be great. I'm like, who lied to you? You know what I mean? Who told you to come to Jesus and life's going to be good? No, come to Jesus and now hell's going to get real serious and now life's going to get tough and your marriage is going to get tough and your kids, because all the forces are fighting against what God is doing in your life. But trust me, my friends, once God establishes a beachhead in your life, it is only inevitable. It is just a matter of time before he starts to conquer those, those sins, those struggles. Those those barriers, those willful, those hidden, those dark areas, those areas of your life that you just keep praying every night. God save me from this. God will move forward. And some of you are in that right now. You know what it's like. You have huge victories and then you have some huge defeats. I I think it was Chuck Swindoll. He wrote a great book a long time ago. Three steps forward, two steps back. Can I get a witness? Anybody? You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. Okay. It's like, that's what it's like sometimes. So many great things. And then it just feels like it's just knocked out under my feet. Well, as we go on the journey of our faith with God, um, I want to help you with this process of Galatians. Galatians continues. Paul continues to talk about this issue of these religious legalistic people. Uh, we call them the Judaizers. They were Jewish believers in Jesus Christ that had followed. Paul had come in and said, Oh, I'm really glad that now you believe in Jesus. You Gentiles, you Romans, you Greek speaking people with a secular background religious in a secular way, but not Jewish. And, and, but I, I I got to tell you you're missing something. You need to follow the law of Moses. You got this new stuff with Jesus, but there's an old stuff over here. There's the law of Moses. So let me tell you about the law of Moses. You can only eat kosher food. it has got to be the right kind of food. There's clean food and unclean food. Don't dare eat unclean food or you're not going to be clean anymore. It's like, oh, give me the list. I need a list. You know, when I go shopping at Winco, I need clean, unclean, right? Okay. Uh, then it's like, well, you got you to gotta wear certain clothes, dress a certain way. You got to look a certain way. Okay. Give me the list. I need that. I need to know what's right, what's proper, what will honor God. And then, you know and then. In their case, you got to have certain interaction with foreigners, which is like none, (laughs) you know, forget foreigners like, yeah, but I'm a. I'm a Roman, I guess I am a Gentile, but now I got to figure out, I got to break all my Gentile friendships because now I got to only have friendship with, with other Gentiles that are believers and then Jews. And okay, I got that one down and it's like Sabbath, you got to worship only on certain days. And there's a lot of those days and not just, you know, Shabbat on Saturday, but it's like all the other full moons and whatever's going on. And then, uh, and then this other one, men, you got to be circumcised. It's like, excuse me, could you go over that again? That list? It's like, yeah, you, you gotta be circumcised. I'm like, okay, that was not in the membership class. Okay, that that was not in the brochure. That was not on the commercial. It wasn't in the advertisement. I didn't see that on the business card. Hello. Well, yeah, if you really want to be a true follower of God, you have to become a Jew. And so the problem was they were mistaken. I mean, not just mistaken, but they were advancing with the force of darkness to say, if you don't fully embrace Moses, then you haven't fully embraced Jesus. And it means you got to obey all the laws and all the rules. Now, we've been looking at this week after week, and we've, you know, taken a look at some honesty, even at Sunrise, in our own church, our own church backgrounds. Some of us were raised in very religious churches, meaning strict legalistic rules. You got to look this way. You got to do this. You got to have it this way. You got to put it this way. You got to wear this. You got to sing this. You got to read this. You got to pray this. If you get it all right. You know, I got all the truth with a capital T, then you're in the club, you know. But you and I know that we can never get it all right. So we either get depressed and drop out, or we just lie and become a hypocrite. And that's why the church is filled with hypocrites. You know, that's why the world looks at the church and go, Oh, you're hypocrites. Because we want to pretend to be better than we are. And that's not how it works. We need to come under the grace of God and realize that it's not about rules. It's not about laws, It's not about legalism. Yeah, God has set out laws in his word. He set out some parameters He give some yes and no's, right? But any time a religious group comes in and says, hey, you'll be more righteous or more holy when you obey all these things. We are destroying. And this is this is this is this is strong. We are destroying the work of God in people's lives. And I would not want to be there on judgment day. When I found out by my religious legalistic system that I've destroyed the work of God in people's hearts. I want to free God in people's hearts. Right. But you and I are all prone to laws. Why? Because we feel good. It works, at least in some sadistic way until it stops working. I feel good. I, I I prayed six days this week and the seventh day I forgot, man, I got to start all over, you know? It's like, you have six days of prayer. Isn't that awesome? Shouldn't you celebrate? Yeah, but, you know, it's like the diet. Let's, let's just be honest here. It's like the diet. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, geez, why am I talking about that, right? The diet. You lose a couple pounds. You're like, victory. And then you go to sunrise on Saturday night. And afterwards, for fellowship time, we have ice cream. Right? I am, I am kidding you now. I talk to my wife. I go, I want to hang out at the fellowship time, but we're always eating. And it's like, and then I got to fast or something. And you have these depressing moments like I'm going backwards. Right. And so anytime you live by law. You're nullifying the work of God. Now, the Apostle Paul gets into this and starts to talk about this. But if you remember back in Galatians chapter two, this is how he prefaces it. He says, when I tried to keep the law, meaning when I tried to be religious and obey all those things. And Paul was a Jew, had a Roman citizenship card, but he was a Jew. When I tried to do it, it condemned me. I could never lift up, live up to it. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ, he said. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, not trusting in rules, not trusting in law, by trusting in Jesus, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. In other words, if you go back to living the law, even now, two thousand years later, if you go back to living a legalistic rule-based system, then you're basically denying what Christ has done on the cross. That's really severe, if you ask me. Because the whole tenet of our faith is Jesus dying on the cross. You're looking at the cross and you're going, "Not important in my life." You know what's really important? My list of rules. Because if I have a list of rules and can obey them, I can get to God myself. Have we ever stopped and thought how heinous that thinking is? That we would look at Jesus on the cross and go, yeah, I can do better than that. I'll live by rules. That's what was going on in this set of churches. And that's what goes on in our hearts when we think we can one up God by living according to the law. We wipe out the grace of God in our lives. Now, we must never, ever, ever go back. I, I see this in the light of my way all the time. There's this great, we do prison ministry, ex-prisoner ministry. And there are these moments when men and women experience freedom and then don't know what to do. Now, here's, here's kind of the setting. Uh, you've gone to jail. You've gone to prison. You've been incarcerated for, I'll say, 10 years. Okay, You're longing for the day you're released. You look forward to that. And you know that there's a gate. Uh, and you're going to walk through those prison doors and you're going to get out there. You're going to be free and you're dreaming for the day you're free and you can't wait till life resumes. And, and everything is toward that. And then you get to that day and you stand there and you go through the parole hearing and everybody goes, yes. And then you walk toward that and they change your clothes and then they give you the bag of the stuff you came in with. And then you walk out the doors and then you're starting to sweat because all I've wanted to be free, but it's scary. And you walk out and now you're no longer in prison. But what do you do? Because your whole life has been confined. Think about this. For years, somebody has told you when to get up and when to go to bed. Somebody has told you what you can and can't eat. They've given you complete regimen of hours and days and work. They've told you what you could do, what you couldn't do. The law had been strapped around you so much. And now you're standing at the free point when you have longed for this and you're sitting there and you know what a lot of men and women do. It's just too scary. And so they reoffend and they go back because as I'm going to say twisted, I don't mean this in any disrespectful way. As twisted as it is, I'd rather live under law because at least I can obey the rules than be free. Because if there's freedom, I don't know what to do now. And that's where these followers of Jesus found themselves, where I'm at the gate of freedom, but that's a scary place. Talking to men and women with bridge church opportunities and prison fellowship, it's like, you know what? We need believers that are reaching into prison, building relationships with them. So when they come out, there's someone that hugs them at the gate and welcomes them, brings them home, gives them a meal, sets them up, gives them a phone number, you know, gets them a place, gets them an address drives them to their PO. Otherwise they're going to reoffend immediately. The system is set up for failure, my friends. And all of a sudden they're here and they don't know what it means to live in the free world. And we take it for granted. If you've lived under reg- legalistic rules all your life, you're standing there at the cross now and you're free and you're like, but it's, I don't know what to do. It's scary. I feel much better when I can check the boxes. Right? And so what Paul is saying is, Oh, Dear friends, you will nullify the work of God. You will destroy the grace of God in your life if you go back to law because Christ has died for that. All right. Now, that's what we're going to see now. Galatians chapter 5, page 893. If you have any chair Bible, it's going to be on the screen in just a second. We're going to take a look at 12 verses. And there's a whole lot about circumcision and things like that. And and, and we're just going to get over that because we've looked at it every week. Okay. It's like, wow, gee, James, when are you going to get out of Galatians? Because the circumcision word, I want to bring my kid to church one of these days and I can't keep explaining stuff. Okay. All right. Well, it's it's in the Bible, right? It was a real issue. We got to translate it into our issues, though. Because they're very real. Okay, so so Christ has truly set us free. All right? We're standing at the gate. The doors are open. We are free. We are back. We're a citizen. And we got to go. We got to move on. We got to take steps, right? Christ has set us free. Now, make sure you stay free and don't get tied up again to slavery law. Don't walk back into prison because it's warm and safe, right? Because it's not warm and safe. You paid all of the time that was required by you. Leave. Get out. Go be free. That is a pretty scary proposition for us. Now, um, Christ died to set us free and slavery conforms us to a mold. Jesus Christ transforms us with his life, death and life on the cross. Now, I know what we try to do is, and and Paul's getting to this, is that... uh, we try to fix it ourselves. We try to find a way to kind of get it going. Here, here's the illustration I heard uh, not long ago. Um, take a piece of iron, uh, a piece of steel maybe, and uh, it's bent, okay? And then you want to straighten it. There's a couple ways to straighten it. One is just to pound it back in or bend it back in. If you've ever done that, uh, if you've ever taken some rebar or some steel or, you know, with auto body or anything like that, you take a piece of steel, you can bend it back into shape. And if you pound it enough, you can make it look just as good. Okay. The problem, though, is you've actually uh, weakened the steel. Uh, there's this crystalline fibers in there that you've actually weakened. It's, it's this. You can't see it. And it sounds strange that with your bare hands, you can weaken steel and not even Superman. Right. And you're there and you bend it back into place. But you and I have known this. Right. Go home and get a hanger. If you've got metal ones, who has those anymore? Right. And then you bend it and then you straighten it and then you bend it. You know, all of a sudden. It just gets really weak and it snaps the man of steel. I I bent with my bare hands, a hanger, right? Okay. In your life, in my life, we're bent. We're broken. We're not straight spiritually. We're not like in line with God, right? We've fallen short and we all get it. We all know it. And so what do we do? We try to bend ourselves back in shape. And, And there are some really good things that we can do. You know, we can go to recovery groups and we can watch Dr. Phil and, and we can read some self-help books and I'm not against, well, I don't, I don't like Phil, but, um, that's okay, but that's all right. Uh, and so, and so we can, we can kind of work really hard and get it back in line, but, but the real way to do it is to take that steel and apply the fire to it and the flames and the heat and to reforge it. Straight to beat it straight to get it to the point where it looks like it was. And then as that red hot flame begins to cool down, uh, it is stronger than ever before. It's been reforged. You've realigned everything internally in that steel. Now, see, my friends, that's what Jesus does for us. It's not about our self-help. It's not about working the law. It's about allowing God to apply the fire. And to heat it up and to reforge us. Now, if you're thinking, well, that sounds like a lot of fun. I'm with you. It doesn't sound like a lot of fun, right? But that's the only way he can reshape us and reform us into the image of Christ. We get a brand new life. Paul goes on to say this. He says, listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be no benefit to you. Or switch it up. If you're counting on religious rules to feel good about your relationship with God, then Christ will be no benefit to you. If you're counting on your church attendance to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit from you. If you're counting on your tithe, do I need to keep going? If you're counting on anything that makes us feel good by religious law, religious rule, whatever it might be. And circumcision would have have been a big one for these, these, these folks. You're nullifying the work of God. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by laws, rules, regulations, legalism, circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, is he repeating himself? I think he's like a mom keeps saying the same thing over again, right? You have been cut off from Christ. That's pretty serious. You have, he says, Fallen away from God's grace. And he's not talking about losing your salvation. He's saying you missed the whole point of your salvation. You have now gone from a life of grace with what Jesus has done to a life of law. And you've fallen away from the very grace that God offered you in salvation. He says, but we who live by the spirit, we who live by the spirit, eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there's no benefit in the legalism that we put on people, right, or on ourselves, being circumcised or uncircumcised, what is important is faith expressing itself in love. I like this because when I first memorized this part, it was in the NIV, and, and it, it, it impacts me a certain way. It says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. I like that. I mean, think about that. If you, you just, like, visit one of the coffee shops one day and... You know, you go to Pete's and all of a sudden you see the Apostle Paul hanging out writing a letter and you're like, wow, can I get you a coffee? No, I got one. Um, Can I talk to you for a few minutes? Yeah. Give me a word from the Lord. He goes, "Okay." The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. You can go now. I got to finish this letter. It's like you walk away and go. The only thing that counts. The only thing that counts, my friends. Is faith expressing itself in love. That means that it's not about the laws and the rules and the regulations and all the things we do to make ourselves feel good or make other people feel bad. Because then we feel good when we make people feel bad, right? Because we're better than them or we think we are. What really counts, in fact, the only thing that counts, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. Your faith in Jesus Christ, your faith in the cross, what Jesus has done for you, now working itself out. What does it look like? What does it look like if you were to go away and say, okay, the only thing that counts, the only thing that matters is my faith in what God has done on the cross, actually applying itself in an outward focus, right? To God and to others that people would see my love for God and see my love for others. They would go, that person has faith because the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love, not holding it out, not going, well, you know, I've got it. No, you got to express it. You got to speak it out. You got to live it out. You got to act it out. The only thing that counts, my friends, is faith expressing itself in love, not a bunch of religious mumbo jumbo. Not about going to a church that's legalistic and feeling good about all these things and wearing the right things and saying the right things and, you know, walking around and feeling more pious than everybody else because you pray with King James deep language. Oh, how art their father, you know, it's like all of a sudden you're like, I've been to those churches and it's like this guy talks and he's like Elmer Fudd and then he goes, would you pray? And all of a sudden he's like, you know, this deep Abraham Lincoln voice that you see at Disneyland as he animatronically moves around and you're like, "What? that's spirituality. Why do we do this to ourselves? Because the only thing that matters is what faith expressing itself in love. Think about that this week. What would your week look like if the only thing that mattered was faith expressing itself in love? Could that be the summation of your life? Now, then he goes on. He says this. I love this. I love Paul. Uh, He has these Olympic kind of. Uh, Analogies, illustrations. You were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching uh, about... Jesus plus Moses equals everything is like a little yeast that spreads throughout the whole batch of dough. Jesus talked a lot about that. A little, little thing. One person comes in with a little bit of a false doctrine. It begins to spread. He says here, I'm trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who's been confusing, which is kind of fascinating because up to this point, he's been talking about people. And there's a, there's a ringleader. There's a person. Who's been stirring up all this problem. And and this is is the analogy. It's like you were running the race so well. The the Christian life is a race. It is a race. It's not a sprint. It's like a marathon. It's a long race. You were running so well. You were going around the track. And you know what somebody did? They cut in front of you. And they knocked you to the ground. They they tripped you up. You know, they, they were right there. And with their intent, they... They caused you to fall from the race. You've lost your timing. You've lost your energy. You've lost your focus. You were running the race so well, and it's like you're aimless now. You don't have the focus you used to have of following Jesus Christ. Now, I love this analogy because the whole idea here is the Christian life is not a fun run. Okay? I'm all for five K's. Let's go have some fun and eat a bunch of pizza afterwards, okay? But five K is not gonna change your life, all right? If you really wanna race, you gotta you gotta plan for a marathon, you gotta train for a marathon, okay? You gotta get serious about it. Diet, exercise, plan, a lot of discipline, things like that, or we can just watch, you know, Galen run the Boston Marathon on Monday and Go, go Galen. He's going to win, right? Okay. So if you have no idea, what I'm talking about, come on, this is Oregon here. He's one of our best runners. And so it, it, the idea is it is a long fought after pursued course. And if somebody comes in and trips you up, you got to get up. You got to keep running. You got to dust off. You got to wipe the blood off. You got to, we got to do whatever it takes to keep running the race Don't let anyone trip you up from the life and the race of grace. He says this, um, dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, which is what they were saying, uh, then, you know, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. And this is great. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. In other words. If they think that a little bit of cutting is going to make them holy, why don't they just keep cutting? It's like, are we in church again? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Okay. If uh, if a little bit of cutting is good, why don't they really become holy? In fact, I like what Martin Luther says. This is so cool. Tell those who are disturbing you. I would like to see the knife slip. That's his interpretation of what Paul is saying. Because that's how bad it is. You know, in Philippians, he says this. I wish they would just castrate themselves and get it over with. Right. If you're going to be holy, you, you better be really holy. Right. Because you're missing the whole point here. Martin Luther pointed out two ways we devalue the cross of Christ and destroy the work of the gospel in our lives. Number one, by tr- going back to trusting in our works, our good energies, our efforts, our, our own religion. Right. Number two. To be defeated in doubt that Christ's power can actually deal with our own sin. To no longer think that Jesus can take over the struggles. That they, that you are at the beachhead and you are three steps forward, four steps back, and you get to the point where you step back into the water and you board the boat and you think, "I'm too bad for Jesus to even work on," and you go back in defeat. Some of us can be honest and say, um, I, I, I try to be honest with this, that um, there are besetting sins, there are struggles, there are idols in our heart. And we just, you know, we just struggle with those. We just keep falling back, you know, and, um, and, and, you know, that's, that's good to be honest about this, it, it, but we work really hard to say no. Okay? And yet, I read this sermon a couple years ago. It's from the early 1800s. Thomas Chalmers, a a, a Scottish uh, minister, called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Now, this is ancient words, right? Okay. Now, he says here that you're never going to have victory by saying no. You have to have victory by saying yes. He says if all you do is try to say no to things, You're just going to leave a void something else is going to come in. Probably the same thing, right? Instead, if you really want to have victory, put something else in place. I love this. So check this out. The love of God and the love of the world are irreconcilable. Okay. We're to love God and hate the world, right? Not people, but the things of the world, right? Okay. The love of the world cannot be expunged, pressed out, pushed out, done away with by a mere demonstration of the world's worthlessness. It can only be supplanted. Supplanted by the love of that which is more worthy than itself. Here it is. The only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. This is the only way to have victory in the Christian life is not to sit there and not think about your sin. Uh, Keith was just talking to me about this earlier, and he goes, here's an illustration I use. Uh, a pink elephant. Would you stop thinking about the pink elephant, please? Stop thinking about it. Knock it off. Stop thinking about the pink elephant. Because that's all you can think about now. Right. Okay, Just confess it. Realize it. We're powerless, except Christ can come in and give us a new heart, a new affection that we would have such a heart for Jesus. That as he comes in, he pushes out all that struggle, not by just denying ourselves to all these things and then leaving this void. But we so fall in love with Jesus Christ. We so fall in love with the gospel. We so fall in love with what God is doing in our hearts that one day we wake up and You know, that thing is still there, but its power is gone because there's a better power in our lives. There's a bigger love. My friends, there is a deeper affection and that is for the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. Our misplaced affections need to be replaced by a far greater affection. The affection of Jesus Christ. I want to close with this. Um, a beach has has been established in your life if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. A decision has been made. Um, you have said yes to Christ. I did that nearly 39 years ago. You've prayed, you've received Christ, you've confessed your sin. The Bible says you have a brand new heart, brand new life, okay? All right, good. Now there's got to be progress, right? Some of you, you need to make that decision though. You need to say, okay, I've, I've been living by rules. I'm going to... I'm going to follow Christ. That's that's where you got to start. Okay, you got to do that. Do it tonight. Come to Christ. Receive his forgiveness. Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Believe that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says you'll be saved. Just just do that. Right. Okay. but but for the majority of us, we have to figure out the affections of our heart. We have to figure out what's going on in our lives that we love more than God. And we got to be honest about it. Because, you know, the Bible calls it an idol. We don't think about it like that, but it is an idol. Anything we love more than God, first place, is an idol. And then we've got to find a love for Jesus that's far greater than our idol. So I, I've been running about 10 years with my wife or so. And um, not a real fast runner. I can run a long distance. I just basically am dumb enough to never give up. Um, and a um, little pain is fine. More pain is better, I guess. You know, so I can run a long distance but I don't have a fast pace. That's okay. Um, I'm run faster than my wife. So I feel good. Um, as, <laughs> uh, sorry, she's not at this server, so I can say that. Um, but, but, um, you know, running with Seth, I, I shared this a while back. I've learned that, um, my age, I'm 53. There's this whole heart rate calculator thing out there. My body mass index, meaning I have way too much mass in my body. Um, and I, Way too much to index for me. Um, I need to lose about 20 pounds. Okay, because what's going on is I bought one of these little Fitbits that has my heart rate. I have learned that I can no longer run t- for a pace. I used to run for a pace and try to get a pace. Because of my age, more than that, because I need to lose 20 pounds, I need to shed some stuff for my life. Um, my heart is working over time. In fact, I was in Cuba running wonderful 90 degree afternoons uh, and I was running just doing like five ks and I, I had to keep looking down and I'm looking going, OK, my heart should be dead now. I better slow down. And it's frustrating to me because I want to run fast. But I have found that I can run faster than my heart can really survive. Now, that is a danger, right? Do I need to tell anybody that's a danger, right? Now, I'm not saying I am going to have a heart attack. But I I, I was running this last week in Cuba, and and I was was thinking about this. That's that's, that's, that's my own problem. I need to shed some things in my life. I have too many affections. One of them is food, okay? Right. Ice cream. I'll see you at fellowship time, by the way. Um, And I'm saying yes to food because it fulfills this thing in me, right? You know what I mean? And I don't know what your affection is, and we got a lot of them but I need to shed some things. I need to lose some things. I need to trim some things down in my life and then my heart can be stronger. My pace will be stronger. I don't want to be the kind of person, my friends, you don't want to be the kind of person that tries to run a race faster than your heart can keep up because you'll separate and all of a sudden there'll be other affections that come in there in your life. Figure out a way to slow yourself down your pace to make sure you've got to shed whatever it is so that when you run, your heart for God is healthy. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. That your affection is for Jesus. Not just white-knuckling it and saying, God, save me from this struggle. Save me from this. So deeply fall in love with Jesus. That your passion for Jesus is so great. That your heart is beating so much for him. Um, that it almost seems like you're running effortlessly the race of life. Cause that's a race you don't want to get tripped up in. You don't want to get disqualified in. You don't want to get off course. You want to get to the end and hear these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You want to feel the embrace of your heavenly father, knowing you've run a race that is well run. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your love. Show us of our affections, which of them are off, which of them are on worldly things, Earthly things, stuff of earth that's going to decay. That's man, it's going to hurt us. Show us what to shed, to get rid of. That's slowing our pace down. That's weighing us down. And strengthen our heart for affection for you and you alone, God. That when sin comes calling, oh, our heart's so so passionate for you. That we're just not attracted to it like we were, because we are attracted to you and your gospel. We pray in your name. Amen.